0: another week another not the top 20 podcast monday episode sponsored by betfair it's ali maxwell and george ellick talking all things efl and frankly george i don't want to go too early here i don't want to burn out before the run in before the business end before the final day before the playoffs but i really feel like we're getting to the good bit now
1: it does feel that way doesn't it suddenly the the results seem to carry more weight especially when teams are dropping points amongst those around them it's no longer just kind of jockeying for position it now feels like we're getting to the business end so yeah i mean it is still mid-february there are still quite a lot of games left to go but um increasingly it's really really taking shape i guess both in terms of the playoff race title races and this season in particular I think the relegation pictures and certainly mm. both the championship and league one are really exciting
0: the sense of uncertainty the sense of Jeopardy And and therefore, I guess the sense of kind of sporting interest, particularly when it comes to things like the League One relegation battle, where I just have absolutely no idea what's going to happen uh, this week, next week or from now into the end of the season. Uh, It's really good to have you guys with us uh, to enjoy it along with us for the ride. And we have got a bit of news, a bit of a sort of parish notice, uh, and it's about EFL 21 under 21. So if you've listened to the pod for a few years, you'll know that that George and I, uh, in partnership with Sky Sports, uh, launched a thing called EFL 21 Under 21. It was an hour-long TV programme in which uh, George and I selected and then talked about the 21 most exciting talents, 21 and under, uh, that are being developed by EFL clubs. This was about celebrating the EFL's young talent and its club's ability to develop that talent. And... We've been really proud of the the concept and the execution over the last two years and the feedback that we've got from the viewers uh, and the feedback that we got from those that we worked on it with. Uh, However, at this moment in time, as we record, it doesn't look like it will be renewed this season for a third year by Sky Sports, who who we've made it with for the last couple of years. And so far, in a few short discussions with various other broadcasting options, uh, again, it doesn't look like 21 Under 21 is going to be televised this year. Now, we are very sad about this, but we're also very confident that this is an important thing for us, a good addition to the EFL landscape, and we don't want this to stop. So we will make it ourselves this year. There will be EFL 21 Under 21. It will probably come to you across audio and written formats, both on the podcast and on ntt20.com. Our plan is to make March... 21 under 21 month across the pod and across ntt20.com. We'll start by looking back at the previous two years and seeing how players have got on, and then we will reveal uh, this year's list. George, we don't think that the the content and the premise will lose anything by being done by us independently but equally if there are people listening who would like to be a part of this project who would like to support it either in terms of production or potentially if there's anyone listening who might be interested in being the title sponsor of EFL 21 under 21 we are very much open to collaboration and and the main thing is that we just want to keep this going because it's been a, a really exciting part of our lives and careers over the last couple of years
1: yeah, it definitely has been. It's a, it's a shame it won't be, or seemingly at this stage, won't be on, on Sky this year. And we both love making it with them over the last couple. But as you say, I think there are other ways to go about giving the acknowledgement that we feel these players deserve. I think there are some unbelievable players in the EFL at the moment who are under the age of 21 that we want to talk about we want to shine a light on. I think when you also consider, you know, whether it's Alex Scott or Adam Wharton, players like this who've already made the leap to the Premier League, this is going to continue to be an area that Premier League clubs shop in um so yeah i mean definitely if you, if if you want to get involved anyone out there um with the project going forward then then do let us know um and yeah it'll be a bit different this year but it'll by no means lose any of its sparkle
0: if you'd like to get in touch with us we have various email addresses which are probably the best port of call uh, ntt20.pod at gmail.com will get to both of us or snazzy new ones ali at ntt20.com and george at ntt20.com as well uh, do get in touch we want to make a really good show efl 21 under 21 uh, and that's our plan in march we hope that you the listener will perhaps this year maybe even more so than the last two given the circumstances buy into it support it and amplify it just that little bit more this year that would be really lovely and and we'll keep you updated over the coming weeks at the top of the championship we'll start with our big four and I'm going to tell you the results in a chunk Leicester beat Watford 2-1 Southampton beat Huddersfield 5-3 Leeds beat Rotherham 3-0 and Ipswich Drew 2-2 with West Bromwich Albion. That means Leicester, top of the tree, 75 points from 31 games. Southampton, 11 points back, having played a game less on 64. Leeds have played one game more than Saints and a one point behind them on 63. And then Ipswich, who have played 30 along with Southampton. They are three back now from Leeds and four back from Saints on 60 points. But the leaders kept on rolling, George, with a 2-1 win at Watford.
1: Yeah, they did. I mean, they kept on rolling in terms of w- winning the game, uh, albeit it wasn't in the most convincing fashion. And um, they got ahead early on in the game thanks to a a Patson Daka penalty, which was dispatched with minimal fuss, and followed that up with a, a really nicely worked goal with Ricardo finishing it off down the right hand side. But then they let Watford back into it, and I thought they were Watford were, were pretty good in the second half in a way that you know, the-, the way this game went didn't really follow the trend normally that we see from Leicester games. Leicester only had six shots, I think, in the- in the whole match, which is Uh, very unlike them and in the second half after Emmanuel Dennis who looked really lively off the bench uh, having come on um, on the hour mark he scored just three minutes later and looked like he was basically the class player on the pitch for the last half an hour or so um, and he had other opportunities to try and um, get the equaliser so this this certainly wasn't Leicester at their best I wouldn't say it was Watford giving them a bit of a scare but albeit from 2-0 down there's no need to really fear, especially when you go ahead after 10 minutes for a penalty. But yeah, this wasn't necessarily Mareskis. And, and similarly as well, when you look at the, the, the possession stats, there's been a bit of a trend recently that Leicester um, haven't necessarily dominated the ball as much as we have come to anticipate they may do. And that was the case here as well. Um, mm. So, I mean, it realistically, it doesn't really matter. Um, they are so far clear at the top now. Um, but it wasn't, the scintillatingness that we've seen but that I mean it's been a hallmark of their of their performances this season that they when they're very good they do what they did to Stoke and beat the 5-0 when they're not very good they win
0: yeah spot on they had a 19 year old centre back Ben Nelson who's had a couple of loan spells with Rochdale with Doncaster over the last few seasons he was sent out really early really young uh, compared to some of his peers and I guess would have uh, benefited quite a lot from that, despite the fact that for Dale, for Donny, playing in League Two in in two poor teams as well, he would have had to you know, grow up pretty quickly on that front. Uh, now he gets his first start for Leicester and would have been a clean sheet, maybe, if it wasn't for this sort of glitch from Harry Winks, who... All season has been so composed on the ball, uh, has enjoyed uh, inviting pressure onto him, and as we saw in the build-up to Leicester's excellent second goal on the counter-attack, really good at popping passes between t- tight gaps between uh, in- on-rushing on opponents and-, and kind of uh, catalysing attacks. In that way for Leicester. Uh, but here he had the ball at the back and just came off the wrong part of his left foot and went straight to Dennis to, to score that goal, uh, which made it a little bit nervy for Leicester. But a win nonetheless. Southampton, five. Huddersfield, three. Was surprising and uh, entertaining, chaotic, great fun. Um, loads to touch on here. Uh, Huddersfield's game plan was really front footed and, and excellent. You know, they scored two first half goals. Sauber Thomas, in particular, looked super sharp, super quick, super on it, super focused and uh, really, really helped scare Southampton, really helped Huddersfield go 2-0 up in this game. Uh, But Joe Rothwell, who signed towards the end of the transfer window and George is just another excellent ball-playing midfielder, uh, then sort of starred in the second half, scoring uh, two goals for Saints. uh, Huddersfield then taking another shock lead, going 3-2 up and Saints uh, doing the job, getting there, getting it done in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rothwell came on for Flynn Downs after half an hour and had a massive impact after the second, uh, after half time, as you say, Sorber Thomas and, and David Kazumu putting Huddersfield up. Thomas with a goal and an assist. Um, but Rothwell's first, the volley from outside the area is a sumptuous hit. Lots of alternative angles doing the rounds on Twitter. I would recommend you go and watch it. Cause it's impressive. And then for him to score the second goal. His second goal of the game, Saints' the second, the equaliser after, what, just 45 seconds after the first strike mm. um, was was and another brilliant finish as well. He's a very nice good player. Little,
0: nice little reverse pass from David Brooks, another January mm. edition.
1: Who came on at half-time, so the two substitutes uh, combining. Um, Rothwell's just a, a very good footballer. He is industrious. He's a good ball carrier. He has an eye for goal. He's a good passer. He's just a very well-rounded player who... I think is kind of perfect for what uh, Russell Martin asked for in, in midfield players where kind of a combination of being very tidy but also having the the spark to do something um, unexpected and you know te- technically very sound as we saw with both of the goals
0: do, do you think Rothwell is a bit in the Ollie Norwood role perhaps where there's 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 always been this idea that there are strikers who are really good for the championship but probably for whatever reason not quite at, at the level in the Premier League, I wonder if, you know, if we look at central midfielders, understanding that Norwood and Rothwell are different players and Norwood operates a lot deeper generally than Rothwell. But do you, do you sort of see my broad point that he, that maybe for reasons of uh, athleticism, a Premier League midfield battle could be a, a, just a, a stretch too far for for someone like Rothwell, but it's impossible to see him not thriving for a top championship team for the next few years?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. He's actually he's 29, which kind of took me by surprise in terms of being a couple of years older than I thought he was. Um, Yeah, I think he's going to be suited to playing in a possession-heavy side always because he's a you know he's a he's a ball player. He's somebody who wants the ball a lot during games. Um, And I think his best performances at Blackburn were under Tony Mowbray um, when they had the the kind of possession-heavy style, um, having chopped and changed a fair bit. So um, yeah, I mean he uh, Bournemouth. Um, last season did okay uh, but the fact that he's been loaned out kind of shows that he's not really part of their plans even though under Ireola they are a side they like to, to get on the board and play so no, yeah, I, I think he's a a very shrewd signing for Russell Martin and and I'm sure he'll continue to perform well for, for um, Southampton. But yeah, it was mad the end of this game with Alex Matos scoring a wildly deflected shot from range. I mean, 10 minutes ago it was still 3-2 to Huddersfield with Saints thinking they were going to lose their 24 game, I think it was, unbeaten record. Uh, but Tom Lees scored a known goal after, after 80 minutes. Uh, Sekumara with a, a, a tidy finish from, after some good work from David Brooks. And then a dozy to finish it off, making it 5 3. So, all credit to, to um, John Wellington and Huddersfield, who are playing really well at the moment. You know, they took the game here to Sant in a way we haven't seen many teams do, off the back of a 4 0 win over Sheffield Wednesday and a good performance at QPR. Darren Moore was in charge of the QPR game, which they paid okay, but it kind of cost him his job. Um, it'll be interesting to see who does come in now. If Worthington and the performances of Huddersfield might make him a candidate because they are playing well.
0: I was going to say I've 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 got a theory about caretaker managers and particularly caretaker managers, for whom there doesn't seem much chance when they first take charge that they're really in the club's thinking, sort of short, mid, long term. My theory is that basically, for for your own purposes, even if you're managing a team in a relegation scrap it's worth playing a really attacking front-footed style of play even in games against teams like southampton and that's because if it goes well it's not you know it's not just about grinding out results it, it, for a caretaker manager the best thing that can happen is that you win games and you do so playing quite an exciting brand of football because that's all it really takes one or two versions of that well, one or two examples of that is all it takes for a fan base to start thinking, well, hold on, maybe this guy's a genius and we just didn't know about it. So uh, it, it kind of makes me laugh that, well, it just makes me smile that Worthington's taken a really front-footed approach to this game and is getting tons of plaudits for it um, because, you know, a 5-3 defeat is still about as, as difficult as a club has made it for Saints in a home game for the last few months. So he, his his sort of stock has risen even in defeat. Of course, they won 4-0 in, in the previous game under him, so they've scored seven of a total of 36 goals this season in two games under John Worthington, just about 20% of their total goal output. So uh, I would like to see Worthington have a couple more games, to be honest, and it, and it certainly helps the club, you know, take a bit more time in their interview process, which I assume is ongoing. Uh, Leeds beat Rotherham 3-0. Tough one to take this for Rotherham, George, because there's little expectation going away to Allen Road. The golf in, in class between the two teams and certainly the individual players meant that Leeds were a, about as short Odds favourites as you'll ever see in a championship football match. But even so, it really sticks in the craw when the opening goal is, is just a really quite egregious and blatant handball. Well, not quite hand, was it? Bamford elbowing in a Furpo cross and no one really seeing it. And what I've seen from Rotherham fans post-game is a sense that from from neutrals and maybe from those connected to Leeds that you know they're so dominant anyway, they scored two more goals anyway, they probably would have won anyway, that it sort of doesn't matter that much. But that's not how it feels at all for Millers fans who are like, well, it's a pretty uneven playing field anyway here and this just makes it impossible.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was really weird the way that Bamford kind of wheeled off and celebrated because to me, to my eyes, I, I think there's got to be a question mark if he actually does touch it. Like it looks to me like it, it might be an own goal, but obviously, if it is Bamford's goal, then it's quite clearly a handball, and, and it should be ruled out. So, the fact that it's his goal when all he's done is throw a hand at it or throw an arm at it is is crazy uh, to me. And I think Liam Richardson, after the game, was pretty frustrated about it. You know, he didn't pull any punches. Um, he, he obviously acknowledged how much better leads were than Mother on the day, but you still, when you're when it's nil-nil, and the opening goal comes from a a pretty clear handball. Um, I think you have every right to be to be frustrated. Um, but you know, this was this this went to script basically with Leeds just dominating in every facet, I think dominating the ball, creating loads of opportunities. Um Victor Hansen, as expected, was the man keep keeping the score down. Um the fact that, you know, Willie Nonto, who was one of the most exciting Leeds players last season in the Premier League, who they fought very hard to keep in the summer, who basically found his his um, opportunities in the first team really limited in the first half of the season because of the good form of Dan James the fact that with James now out it's, it's Willie Nonto who just slips in he's probably one of the top five, six best players in the whole of the championship can just come in and, and that's your replacement um, just is goes to show how strong and how much depth this lead squad has um, so yeah this was a, a pretty run-of-the-mill win for them uh, Somerville with another two goals uh, I know that he's the man that you think is in the top one
0: in terms of players in this division. Mm, he is some player. I did enjoy uh, shock horror, a Jorginho Ruter assist for Somerville's uh, first goal. And then, of course, Somerville with the Penenka from a penalty that he'd won himself. It's uh, it's pretty sumptuous stuff and, and I'm really enjoying watching him. I just feel like he, he seems to play on... You know, A lot of people will be listening to this podcast on... 1.5 times speed or 1.8 times speed or if you're a complete pervert 2 times or 3 times speed I've heard but uh when I watch some of it it is like he's playing on times 1.5 speed the the absolutely incredible acceleration that he has the low center of gravity I mean I just can't imagine trying to actually tackle him um and then Ipswich Dropping points, George with a two-all draw against West Brom, which means that top three pull a little bit further clear. Uh, The match itself was, uh, albeit a draw, we we very rarely go in-depth on. I know that you watched this one and that you were so entertained that you tweeted you might actually need to have a little lie down, a little nap after this one. It was a lot to unpack. Can you do so fairly swiftly?
1: John Swift scored um, a goal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think the first thing to point out was Tom Fellows' opener for, for West Brom, You know, a player who we're very excited by, who um, has kind of broken into the, the, the West Brom first team in the last couple of weeks. Just incredible strength um, and balance, picking up the ball on the left-hand side and kind of shaking off Luke Wolfenden in a way that I, I was, was impressed that he was able to do before snipping it inside the near post. Um, Nathan Broadhead got one back, or sorry, got the equaliser for, for Ipswich just after half time. And it kind of felt from there like it was going to be an onslaught with Ipswich dominating um, the, the chances and trying to find a winner. And that kind of was the case with West Brom only having one shot between the, the 50th minute and the end of the game. And that was a John Swift pot shot from 25 yards. But with unerring accuracy, you know, it landed just in front of Hadke and then kissed the inside of the, the post. I think some people might say that Hackie should do better, but I, I think it was the, the precision in terms of the strike, I think was, was so good that actually it was a very hard one to save. Uh, and it was completely against the run of play and probably undeserved from Carlos Corcoran's West Brom side. Um, there was an onslaught afterwards, uh, loads of added on time. As yeah, as you say, I was uh, on my sickbed getting pretty exhausted watching it because it was just absolutely manic. And <laughs> uh, Amari Hutchinson scored uh, with a the kind of a the uh, the clearance from a, a set piece fell to him um, and he managed to fire it through some bodies where Alex Palmer and Cedric Keepray were on the line and kind of uh, Palmer almost took it off Keepray's foot um for what was a, a really deserved point and i think probably you could argue that the Lipswich maybe deserve more than a point on on the day they're going through a tough period at the moment town where you know they are i, I personally don't think they're playing much worse than they were before um when, you know before this poor run of form, but it's just one win in nine, and um, you know they're gonna have to. They do have easier fixtures now. This is the start of a of a much easier run-off. If you haven't got uh, baggies over and done with, um, but maybe they they've lost too much ground given how relentless both Leeds and Saints are.
0: Right, just feels like the the absolute detail in every one of their performances and the level of execution in both boxes uh, have both just dropped a tiny bit, and that has quite a big impact when you're setting a a speed of 2.2 points per game, whatever it was, up to this run. It's now one win in nine for Ipswich with with six draws in that time. Uh, They've got five fixtures in a row against teams in the bottom ten positions. So, Could they get back in rhythm? We will see. Leicester have won three in a row. Southampton have won four in a row. Leeds have now won six in a row. So you can see the the pace being set at the top of the championship. Let's look near the bottom now. Uh, We've heard already that Rotherham uh, lost to Leeds. We've heard that Huddersfield lost to Southampton. QPR, who are in the bottom three, they drew 2-2 at home to Norwich. Topsy-turvy game in which uh, Norwich uh, were behind, then Norwich were ahead and it Ended all square. January additions for QPR. Well, we know because the club were very, very open about it that they are able to do very little in terms of transfer business, in terms of available wages and transfer fees. Um, but that's not to say they didn't do some business. And it was the new striker Frey who finished across from the new attacking midfield slash wide player Lucas Anderson, uh, who looks unbelievably like Tommy Fleetwood, the golfer. And... Uh, He set up Frey to equalise, so uh, January additions, combining for a point, uh, a very valuable point for QPR. There were two fixtures that were very, very significant um, in terms of teams in the bottom eight, George, in terms of teams trying to stave off relegation in particular, but those who were on poor form beforehand. That's Blackburn and Stoke on Saturday. Blackburn Rovers won that one 3-1 and Sheffield Wednesday v Birmingham on Friday night. Sheffield Wednesday won that one 2-0. Which of those do you want to tell me about?
1: I think Wednesday Birmingham because it was one of the nine games that I watched. This was a a huge game um, for both sides when you consider Wednesday off the back of a, a disappointing run of results, conceding a lot of goals and suddenly, you know, having been pushing their way out of the relegation zone, the gap between them and um, safety was, was growing ever wider. And in Birmingham, they were playing a team who they would have had down as a, as one of the likely ones that they could catch. It was a a strange start to the game where Birmingham started just way better. And when the goal came um, through Ike Ugbo, it was so against the run of play. Like, it was basically Sheffield Wednesday's first forward. But then... And from there, you kind of thought that this was going to be a, um, a bit of a smash and grab. But as the game developed, I was, I was kind of more and more impressed with uh, Danny Roll's Sheffield Wednesday, and rather than just sit on their lead, they they kind of improved as the game went on. And when Ugbo got the second, I, I think it was you know hard to begrudge them the victory for 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 Blackburn. Sorry for Birmingham. Um, it was a surprise. I thought that Jay Stansfield didn't didn't start the game. Um, he's someone who I think you know his his goal scoring ability and his work rate are going to be so important to, to Birmingham's um safety at, well their, their their attempts to to avoid relegation this season um and just a lack of quality in the final third fairly consistently like I thought Dembele played well for the first 20 or so minutes and then kind of went missing. Bakuna is is often very hit and miss when it comes to, to quality in the final third. So you know, this wasn't without promise for Birmingham, but in terms of the actual result and the way that they retreated into their shell a bit, I thought, as the game went on, um, you know, this is that they're properly now embroiled in this relegation race um, And Wednesday with a win, really opening up the second spot rather than it just being um, one that's up for grabs.
0: And in Lancashire, Blackburn, at the end of one of the messiest, most shambolic weeks that I can remember an EFL club having this season, in which... Duncan Maguire, their new beefy America number 9's transfer, fell through. No deal for Maguire. Back he goes to Orlando. Uh, and with him, Yondale Thomason. Uh, not, not literally. Albeit, if he's got a couple of weeks off, a trip to Orlando, not the worst thing I've ever heard. Particularly if he's got kids on account of there being famously Disneyland? Disney World.
1: Disney World. I think I've been there twice, weirdly.
0: Not a lot of people know that you're a
1: huge Disney guy. No, once as as a child, um, with my dad and my brother, mm. and then once about f- f- seven years ago, on a road trip from, um, <laughs> on a road trip from uh, Miami, all the way across to like Texas, mm. and we were driving through Florida and we had to stay, we had to stop to stay the night somewhere, and Orlando has got the best reputation for safety as a city, so sure. we thought, where is safer than? Disney World. So he booked into a Disney World hotel and went out and had dinner in downtown Disney and then got (laughs) up in the morning and left.
0: John Eustace is in. So a really messy week has ended with a a, quite drawn out managerial departure. Thomason's exit not announced till Friday, despite everyone knowing that he was gone. It was all a bit weird. And yet they finished the week with a manager that we think's really good in charge and having been eight without a win before this game uh, a 3-1 win in which they started pretty well. In the first half, Rovers had five shots, Stoke had four, but Rovers' chances were big chances and they took them. Uh, Ty Dolan with two and Sammy Smoddix uh, with the third. Uh, Stoke pulled one back through Niall Ennis, who didn't have a particularly happy six months as a Blackburn Rovers player. Uh, and then in the second half, Ainsley Pairs had to save a penalty to keep Stoke at bay. And you have to think if that had been scored... There'd have been some incredible nervous energy around the place. But as it was, they saw it out. Um, George, I want to talk about John Eustace. I want to talk about Stoke City. Let's talk about Eustace first. Are you surprised that he is the new manager of Blackburn Rovers, and what does it mean for them?
1: I'm definitely not surprised, no. Uh, I thought he was, you know, it became very clear that Rovers wanted to appoint
0: someone immediately. Sorry, to be clear my angle of attack was, are you surprised he's taken this job? Because that was basically what Mark Chapman asked me on Five Live on Saturday. The inference being that he left Birmingham, was not treated that well. And, and and they do say, pick your owners, pick your situations. But he's gone into a club that, you know, seems to be in a little bit of a mess, which some people will find surprising.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the, the Venkis are, are, are kind of a confusing ownership group in my mind, um, where... Obviously when they first came in, um, there were some issues. I think there have been periods where they've been very supportive and you know, they obviously are the ones who sign the checks at the end of the day, um, for what is a significant loss fairly consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, the patience shown under Tony Mowbray, I think, you know, I'm sure Mowbray would have had no issues with the um with his experience working under the venkies with Yondell Thomason, clearly towards the end there was some real friction there, but um it's yeah, it's 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 hard from the outside looking in to to understand what's the off-field situation at Blackburn Rovers because clearly when they've just recouped a massive fee for Adam Wharton, yet there are still financial constraints placed on placed onto the club, then the the finger is immediately pointed at, at at the owner and and I understand that entirely. But I think for John Eustace, you're you're coming into a a. Uh, a, a a side who have a lot of talent within their squad who've you know they've they've given a decent platform as I say to Mowbray and to to Yandel Thomason Thomas and prior to that. I don't necessarily think it's a big shock that he's taken it. I think, you know, Eustace has been linked to a couple of League One jobs recently as well where if he was interviewing for League One jobs, I think it's pretty obvious that you would take this job when it comes up at Blackburn. I think it's a really good appointment. I think that he is someone who's um Pragmatism, or certainly the, the work that we saw at Birmingham in terms of sorting out a defensive unit, is going to be absolutely essential in order to to ensure that the Rovers stay up. So um, I like the appointment. I think I think it's a good one. I think their their chances of staying up uh, go up uh, with with Eustace in the door. Having said that, there's you know unless we see a different side to him, there's there's obviously quite a clunky transition from the most expansive manager in the Championship in in Thomason to a, a guy who we're led to believe. You know, would, would take fewer risks. Although, having said that, allegedly I never saw them. Um, John Eustace's Kidderminster side in the National League were an incredibly expansive football team, so maybe he's got that to his um, he's got that ability too. Uh, interested to see how it goes.
0: And for Stoke, it's four defeats in a row. They're now three points above the relegation zone. The sacking of Alex Neil and appointment of Stephen Schumacher has not led to an uptick in points. And it's fair to say there's been something of a meltdown, Uh, various tweets that the algorithm threw at me on Saturday evening, such as if we lose on Wednesday, uh, that's against QPR, Schumacher has to be sacked. And another one that says we are by far the worst team in the league. In fact, we're not even League One quality. Uh, Someone who's very across League One as well as Stoke City there. George, look. I don't think there's much of a surprise that there'd be a certain level of, of alarm and panic setting in. And, and we know that it, tweets like that, particularly after the emotions of a defeat, are pretty normal and not specific to Stoke City fans. So I don't mean to dig anyone out, but have you got any crumbs of oat cakey comfort for Stoke fans right now?
1: Not massively, no. I mean, the underlying numbers are better than the results. It's, it's worth pointing out, especially if you take out the, the 5 nil defeat against Leicester. And there was, of course, that unbeaten run of seven games that, that came prior to this This four defeats in a row. But no, I mean, I'm pretty concerned. I um, I don't think we're seeing much in terms of positive impact from Schumacher, which is a concern um, for them. I think when you look at the, the games they've got coming up soon, yes, you've got a home game against, Q, against QPR next up, which is massive. But after that, you've got Coventry at home, Cardiff away, Borough at home, leads away like that's you know, you're not looking at a run of games here which are, but should yield loads of points so um no I'm, I'm I'm pretty worried about them right now And as I say with with QPR with Sheffield Wednesday with Huddersfield all, all fairly consistently putting in good results I'm very much in the mind that there are two spots for relegation that are still up for grabs with, with Rotherham all but down and right now Stoke have got to be one of the favourites to, to chop into them
0: Rotherham, bottom, 19 points, 12 points away from safety. Uh, they have played a game less than the four teams above them. Sheffield Wednesday on 26 and QPR on 29, occupied 23rd and 22nd. They've both played 31. And then two points above it are Huddersfield, one point above them are Stoke, Birmingham and one point about them, Millwall, at Blackburn, Swansea, Argyle all on 36 points. That's seven points clear of the relegation zone. And Millwall and Argyle, uh, both lost over the weekend, uh, Millwall away at Coventry, Argyle away at Sunderland, George. I know that you watched that Cov Millwall game. What did he make of it?
1: I, I thought Millwall were really impressive in the first half. Um, I thought they came to Coventry with a game plan, a liked they didn't sit in, you know, they played a, a fairly high, high line. They looked to get on the ball in Coventry's half and they created loads of opportunities. Um, I think connor's made a couple of big saves. Uh, in the first half, Remain Essay scored the, um, the deflected effort, scored the, the one goal in the first half. But going into half-time, I think Mark Robbins would have been a, frustrated with the uh, the performance, but also probably quite thankful that they were only one goal behind because it was one-way traffic for for a lot of it. Uh, the second half was was very different, though, uh, with Coventry just taking their time and turning the screw. Um, the the Haji Wright moving from playing through the middle to the left-hand side with Ellis Sims coming on through the middle made a massive difference. It looks like that's where he is most effective and he scored um, a penalty and then a um, uh, kind of well-taken, albeit, you know, Sarkic might um, have, uh, you know, maybe would want it back, um, finish at the near post from right. So, yeah, it was, I mean, Coventry were good in the second half. I mean, they, they they'll know that The first half performance wasn't great, but they managed to get over the line. I think for for Joe Edwards and for for Millwall, frustration that their game seems to follow a pattern at the moment where they play quite well. Um, They they dominate periods of games, but um, a bit of a soft centre means they're conceding goals at at bad times and they can't seem to get um, over the line. And and that is in itself going to be difficult because they are also one of these teams that are very much in amongst it at the moment.
0: Absolutely unbelievable stat dug out by Hugh on the weekend notes on NTT20.com. Only Leicester and Saints have scored the first goal more often than Millwall this season. Uh, and the, those two teams uh, in the top two, Millwall are 18th. So some issues there with setup, with mentality, with... It could be any number of things there, but we saw it play out in front of our eyes. Uh, Kov did come on very strong in the second half, as you say, and, and had you right at the double. I mentioned Sunderland beating Argyle 3 1. That was from behind as well as Kov's win. Um, Argyle hitting Sunderland with a, a lightning counterattack. The through ball from Morgan Whittaker to Ryan Hardy. Uh, who had still quite a lot to do and, and actually arguably made it a little harder for himself than he needed to before lobbing an Anthony Patterson who'd been in no man's land but the pass from Whittaker was just absolutely incredible. We're at a point now where like the- Whittaker's left peg the the power and accuracy that he can generate not just from those goals when he cuts in and smashes it from 25 yards but even with this pass is absolutely unbelievable and he- and he's got so even like a year ago, he was, well, 18 months ago, first half of last season, performing really well for Argyle, getting a ton of goal contributions in League One. But even from that point, the development and the improvement has been so visible and tangible and so exciting as well. Um, but parity was restored in the in the second half, Sunderland coming back to win this one. Uh, incredibly sumptuous goals really. Ekwa with a low free kick under the wall and into the corner even with a draft excluder. I think it was uh, Morgan Whitaker lying on the ground. Couldn't stop it, didn't stop it. Uh, That was the equaliser and then Jack Clark scored a a magnificent individual goal with a perfect finish into the corner Uh, and Joe Bellingham did something similar towards the end, uh, dancing forward with energy, with skill as the Argyle defence tired and again finding the the far corner with a a beautiful finish. Uh, One of the best uh well one of the highlights of Bellingham season really um and uh, really great to see. Now Hull lost one 0 at home to Swansea. This is a, a big win for Swans who'd been in poor form. Big win for their manager Luke Williams, his first as Swansea manager. And Uh, It was nice to see him uh, full of praise and absolutely crediting Alan Sheehan, the first team coach and or assistant manager. I can't remember what his exact title is because he's in charge of set plays. He works very hard on set plays and Swansea scored from a set play. Liam Cullen with a free shot at goal, 10 yards out to put them ahead early on in this game. You'd expect Hull to come on pretty strong after that Hull to chase the game and and end up with a fair few efforts at goal and it just didn't really happen and it's an interesting situation with Hull at the moment where despite the the big names despite being dubbed the Hullam Humber Trotters by some uh, they're not really they're not entertaining the the home faithful that's for sure Uh, they haven't scored more than one goal in a game in their last seven and they're struggling to create um a friend of ours, who's an excellent Twitter follow, uh, Lou Orns, he put out a graphic on Sunday um, that was all the championship teams, uh, the percentage of of the team's touches that they take in their own third. So how much of the time that they spend on the board do they spend near their own goal? And Hull were the highest by miles. And I think it's interesting because they are a possession-based team. That sort of thing is going to inflate your possession stats because most teams are pretty happy to let Hull have it in their own defensive third it it therefore makes them project as quite a possession-based team if you look at uh, top line possession stats but if a large percentage of that is in your own third it's completely meaningless possession for the most part it's certainly not dominant possession it certainly doesn't add a huge amount to Hull City's attacking play so maybe some problems for Liam Rossini to solve here George and, and to kind of prove that he can solve them if that makes sense
1: I guess in terms of squad building it's currently looking a little bit naive, just bringing in loads of, kind of diminutive ball players um, and actually the, 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 the mesh and the blend isn't necessarily working too well. Um, as you say, for them to be 1-0 down at home to a Luke Williams side, um, you know, generally Luke Williams' teams, even at their best, concede a fair few chances and really struggle to get the likes of Philogene and, and Fabio Carvalho and, and get them working well Especially off the back of, of what's been a, a pretty poor run of form, um, of, of results and performances. Yeah, this is going to be um, an interesting task for him. And, and you know, he's got to sort it out pretty quickly because right now, you know, if they if, if they want to finish in the top six this season, Sunderland and, and Coventry um, are going to leave them behind pretty quickly unless they sort it out. So, um, yeah, there's a, um, a, a, a pretty concerning. Performance High on Saturday in the midst of a, of a few of them.
0: Mm, and there's a great interview uh, with Luke Williams by Ben Fisher, who covers the EFL for The Guardian. Absolutely incredible read. Um, and I would implore you to go in, and take that in because uh, an appreciation of the journey that Luke Williams has been on uh, to get to this point is uh, it's incredible detail really. He's very open about the jobs that he did uh, after he didn't make it as a professional footballer in order to make ends meet, in order to get himself on on the coaching pathway, uh, and also incredibly harrowing story of being stabbed with a champagne flute on a night out in Edmonton while he was an apprentice at Bristol Rovers, and a, a horrible car crash as well in his early twenties. Uh, it really does help um, you know get to know uh, the one of the championships' newest managers in Luke Williams. A uh, great piece from Ben. Um, And Preston beat Cardiff 2-0. So this one was 2-0 at half-time, Preston having scored their only two shots of the first half. But two really nice goals. And albeit I'm still pretty confused about how good Preston are or not, I, I think right now I am thinking of them a bit differently to how I was a month or two ago. That's because in big games against Leeds and against Ipswich... I was impressed with their industry and their intent. I was impressed with aspects of their performance. Uh, defeated by Leeds, but beating uh, Ipswich. And all season, I've kind of thought, no, that they're, they're too high up. They're not that good. They'll slide down eventually. But they're still there. They're in tenth. And just based on recent performances, I think they're they're in better shape than they maybe have been for for some months now. And if you look at the team that played here, if you look at their attacking trio of Frockier Jensen, Will Keane, and Emil Reese. I think that's a really nice balance of profiles. I think that's nice alchemy if they can all stay fit and develop a partnership because you've got Frockier who likes to break from deep, who's an excellent forward passer. He can carry the ball as well. You've got Will Keane, who's a brilliant sort of pivot striker, uh, can play back to goal, uh, is is tall and can handle himself airily. He's a very smart player. He's someone that brings others into play and he's got an eye for goal and gets into good goal-scoring positions. And then you've got Reese, who in his championship career so far has, has has kind of been a little bit misprofiled sometimes because he's quite tall. People think of him as a kind of uh, a tall number nine type, but really he likes to stretch his legs into the channels. He likes to peel wide. He doesn't really like getting in amongst it with centre-backs. And he showed that here uh, on the break, getting the ball out on the left, cutting inside and, and finishing into the near post. Then you've got Liam Miller at left wing back, who we know has got a bit of X factor. Alan Brown and Ben Whiteman, uh, the devil pivot in midfield behind that front three, and I kind of like the team. You know, if they can keep this team fit, I think that there's an interesting few months ahead for our, uh, for, for North End. And having maybe previously written them off, I think I'm going to retract that statement. Even um, even Freddie Woodman's in in much better form, and and you know his drop off in the first half of the season was something I didn't see coming either. So interesting. Keep an eye on on PNE is what I'm saying here. And. As for Cardiff, that's six defeats in eight at home. Uh, I think I said what I needed to say about Cardiff and bullet uh, expectations and reality a, a few weeks ago. And I did pick up some heat from the Cardiff fans. So I'm going to keep my head below the parapet uh, in the main. But just to say a team that scored more from set pieces than open play in mid-February. That's not not for me. That Not for me. Uh, big winners, George, as well. Bristol City at Middlesbrough. Their first win since Boxing Day.
1: Needed for Liam Manning this one, um, because as you say, it kind of feels like maybe the cup problem was a, a bit of a distraction with good performances coming against Forest over two legs. Um, well, the replay and also West Ham. Um, but the the league form had taken a hit. So to go to, to a borough side who still have been really frustrating this season. Um, and, you know, this is always, I, I watched Manning's interview after the game and these are the, the games where, his sides are going to thrive where you've got an opposition who you know, are going to want to dominate possession and they just say, yeah, fine. You have the ball. We're, we're absolutely fine with that. And we're going to break at pace whenever we can. And that's exactly what they did. Um, a brilliant defense splitting ball from Rob Dickey for Jason Knight's opener, um, who, um, had to sort his feet out a little bit in order to, to, um, to, to eventually get a shot away. But, you know, really nice, uh, what a Nice pass from Dickie and a, a well taken goal. And um, for the second, you know, following a, a similar um, line with, with Matty James, basically winning the ball high up and um, firing it into the near post um, just a minute later. So 2 0 up after 15 minutes. And they saw it out pretty well. Um, Sammy Silvera scored an, an injury time for, for Barra. He had knew absolutely nothing about it. I'm still. I'm not sure if he if he reckons he scored now. Judging by the look on his face after diverting the ball in, um, but Bristol City, you know, even though they had suffered at the times in the second half, for the most part, they they did it fairly comfortably. So, yeah, they they're going to be and Manning sides always going to be a really good. They're going to put in their best performances against teams like Borough who who want the ball, who want the games we played in front of them because Bristol City will will press and break. Um, in a very structured and, and and effective way. That's what happened here. But really, you know, concerning for Bayern now, their run of form, poor form is going on for too long and, and in a similar way to what we were saying about Hull a second ago, um, that they're in danger of being left behind in this mm. race for the top six.
0: Yeah, just to me, just seem to be lacking in that kind of confident in-control personality that underpins their great run last season. Even during that great run, we kept pointing out they were leaky, they were conceding goals but they didn't seem to let that really affect them and they seemed to be able to continue attacking with kind of vim, vigour, confidence and just haven't really had that at all this season. Um, Chubra Akpom, obviously the, the kind of biggest name departure, but not the only one. And those that have replaced him and, and Archer and Ramsey, of course, just haven't quite offered the same uh, level of, of confidence going forward. And, wow, the leakiness has, has maintained, really. So, uh, in terms of the playoff picture, we've got West Brom 5th on 49. Coventry back in 6th on 47. Uh, also, Sunderland on 47. Three goals back in terms of goal difference. And then Hull, Norwich, Preston all on 45. Hull have got a game in hand over that lot. Uh, Watford, Borough, Bristol City back on 41, six points behind the playoffs. Uh, Borough, the team who've played a game less there. In League One, George, ever since I called the top four a big four, they've not necessarily been carrying themselves as such. In fact, last weekend on Saturday, only one of the top four pre-weekend won. And now that group of four has been broken by Barnsley. Uh, the one team that did win were the league leaders, Portsmouth. Catch them if you can right now. 1-0 winners up at Carlisle.
1: Yeah, it was, it was their weekend in this in this um, title race, wasn't it? With a, uh, you know, a, I wouldn't say it was the most convincing victory against the Carlisle side who at the moment are really struggling. And probably, I would say, look, the most likely team to be relegated first out of out of League One um, if things don't improve. Um, Paddy Lane. Who scored so many important goals for Pompey this season, getting the all important goal. And when you consider the Bolton drop points, when you consider that um what happened with, with Peterboroughs, we'll get on it in a second. You know, there's um results and performances like this are, are going to be incredibly important for for Pompey. So their fans won't care one jot if they um weren't their their most convincing over the course of the game. They're now six points clear at the top of uh the top of League One with a gap of seven down to Bolton in third. Um so a big a big win, even if not uh, the most convincing win.
0: And they just get big contributions in big moments in tight games, as you allude to. Uh, this time it was Abu Kamara and Paddy Lane Kamara with... Just an absolutely fantastic piece of play to assist Lane, uh, showing skill, showing speed, and then a perfect way to pass. Lane finishing first time through the keeper. Uh, Pompey's only shot on target. They did hit the post as well, uh, and they got a, another famous win in, in in a season that does feel like it might be heading in the right direction. A derby drew one all with Shrewsbury, a late equaliser from Aaron Pierre. It didn't necessarily look like how I expected an Aaron Pierre late equaliser to look. I thought maybe... Corner whipped in, thumped, thumping header. But um, I think they he was up there, so they may have had a set piece, maybe a throw that they took short. Managed to work it down the left-hand side, cut back. Aaron Pierre just with a little left-foot swinger from kind of 10, 12 yards. Nice little finish. Great spirit from Shrews under Paul Hurst to get that point away at Derby. Bolton also drew. They drew with Northampton Town. And uh, the, the way that this one came about was almost the opposite. They went down to 10 men in the first half and they were behind early against Cobblers. But Carlos Mendez Gomez, who hasn't had too many big moments yet in a Bolton shirt, but he scored a, a quite a funny header like on the run, on the bounce, uh, flying into the top corner uh, beyond the goalkeeper and equalising for 10-man Bolton with Ian Everett having been sent off as well in that game. Um, but big winners of the weekend as well as Pompey were Barnsley, George. And this one was... Dramatic as hell. 1-0 down to Orient, who were on course for a statement win to carry on some pretty statement form. But Barnsley have just got something about them.
1: Yeah, they do. Uh, Rule Sotirio put Orient ahead in this game and it felt like it was going to be a frustrating one for Barnsley, Um, but... All in the last kind of couple of minutes of the game, um, Adam Phillips got the equaliser just before um the 90th minute, and then a really weird um Luca Connell booking. I can't really work out what for it was basically before they they kicked off again. Um, Connell had obviously said something or something the referee didn't like, and Connell was basically sent off before the restart. Um, and it really felt like there was the atmosphere within Oakwell, the home fans. Really not happy about the referee's decision to award a second yellow card to Connell. So when Adam Phillips in the 94th minute um, scored the the winner, um, there was a, a big outpouring of emotion from the Barnsley fans. And this feels like it, it does feel like a significant win as well for for Barnsley, it, it, especially with those teams above them dropping uh, dropping points. It keeps them very much in the conversation for the top two. Um, you know, a, a one 0 defeat. Compared to a two-one uh, win here, is a you know, it's a big three-point difference, and the and the, the table would look very different otherwise. Um, Adam Phillips with a with a couple of goals, and continuing a decent season for him as well. Orient frustration for them; they weren't they weren't able to get the the win, but it's another pretty good performance off the back of what's been a really good spell under Richard Wellens. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the unbeaten run might be over, but with home games to come against Northampton and Burton this week, um, I don't think they they'll stop picking up points as of yet.
0: Wickham. Beat Peterborough 5 2, or rather Peterborough G, as we have to call them now, because that is four own goals in two league games for It's So three defeats in a row, four without a win. A team that we thought at the start of the season, on account of how young they were, that they might be an exciting but inconsistent team then for 25 games proved them to be anything but that, incredibly consistent in the way that they were dominating games and making that count with points. Uh, But now they are having something of a wobble. I mean, credit to to Wickham, in particular Kane-Vincent Young with some unbelievable skill in the build-up to Wickham's first goal. Um, Really exciting bit of play uh, and Collins sticking it in his own net. I guess the other sort of main strand from this game was Peterborough errors giving it away at the back and gifting Wickham goals. Uh, unfortunately, the goalkeeper Bilokapic uh, very much at fault here. Clear it up the pitch, mate. If anything is what I is what I would say. But this one's really sweet for Wickham, not least George, because after one win in seventeen and a lot of of uh, wobbles within the fan base in particular and and question marks around Matt Bloomfield, that Black, Bloomfield that's back to back wins for them. Keeping the relegation zone at arm's length, but also uh, there was a lot of bad blood between these two clubs uh, during the COVID season when uh, Wickham made the playoffs after the league was decided on. PPG and Peterborough felt very hard done by. Uh, so there's always been that little mini rivalry, that bad blood over the last few years, and, and therefore this is extra sweet for Wickham Wanderers to beat Posh 5 2. Stephen H. drew 2 all with Vale, sort of late handball penalty that. I'm kind of scratching my head out because everyone connected with Stevenage seemed incredibly angry with it and that it was an absolute disgrace. And it led to a uh, a Steve Evans rant in which he basically suggested that the powers that be don't want Stevenage to do well or be in the top six. So the refs are um, reffing poorly against them in order to drag them down, which is, uh, to my eyes, a pretty serious suggestion and uh, pretty disgraceful to my eyes, to be honest. But uh, emotions were obviously very high. The confusing thing about the decision is that, I don't know about you, but everyone that I've spoken to not connected with Stevenage thought, yeah, that looks a, a fair decision. Butler looks like he leans towards the ball with his
1: arm. It's just Steve Evans, isn't it, though? I mean, uh, does, 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 does he believe what he's saying? Does it matter? Is it just It's just a means for him to, to deflect, to steal some headlines and just to create this narrative of of us against us against them which mm. i think he's very good at doing and i'll probably see them come out with a point to prove next time up even though as you say there doesn't seem to be too much of an issue with the actual decision
0: well they didn't have their playoff place taken because oxford are seventh blackpool are eighth they played each other and they drew one uh, one anything interesting in that game in particular I know Blackpool fans are a bit disappointed that they didn't try and take the game a little bit more to Oxford given that they, they're they the ones with a decent gap of points to make up.
1: Oxford probably missed the two best chances that weren't goals in the game. Um, Mark Harris um, in the first half at one all um, a block from Mar- Marvin Ekpateta um, which was an incredible block to be fair with kind of a mixture of his arm and his face um, but definitely not a handball but um, yeah, an amazing block and then Billy Bowden with A minute left on the clock um with a kind of free header at the back post which hits the inside of the post and bounces away rather than than goes in um blackpool probably had the better of the game away from those you know if you if you take out the the isolated chances and you look at the way that you know who was on top for the most part you could probably argue the blackpool were um they went ahead through a um who wasn't that scored? Pennington scored a, yeah. a, a header from a set piece from some pretty lame defending from Oxford before Mark Harris. Um got the equalizer. That's his, I think, seventh goal and nine. Um he's starting to, you know, Des Buckingham's had a lot of question marks um put to him about his managerial ability. But certainly the best thing that he's done is, is he's taken Mark Harris. Continued his brilliant work right off the ball, um, but just got him to, to get in between those two posts. And he's he's scoring regularly now, which is good to see.
0: And loads of big results involving teams in and around the relegation zone. That, that's going to be uh, a regular refrain from me from now on, because there's, there's a lot of teams in and around the relegation zone. Um, let's chat through them and then I'll summarise the state of play afterwards. Uh, maybe the headline for me, George, would be Reading 2, Charlton 0. Uh, Femi Aziz thumping in two left foot volleys, sweet strikes, powerful strikes, flying into the top corner. Um, Fun for, for someone to score one goal like that in a season. But Aziz is now building one of the most exciting highlight reels. Uh, In certainly in League One, made kind of more crazy by the fact that he didn't score until late November and he was missing tons of chances, Aziz. And now it's all clicked for him. Um, And I think Ruben Sellers deserves a lot of credit because I know the fans were uh, questioning Aziz, getting on his back a little bit. But he does do quite a lot uh, in terms of out of possession stuff, in terms of tackles and recoveries. His stats are very, very strong on that front. And I think we know that in terms of Sellers' his, his managerial philosophy, that's something that he, he you know, really prioritises. And now they've basically got a kind of Morgan Whitaker-esque game-breaker who can basically take narrow games and all being well if he gets a look at goal really test the goalkeeper and score magnificent goals. So uh, I'm kind of, there's there's two things here, because uh, it was Nathan Jones's first mm, game in charge of Charlton, but a defeat means they're winless in 13, which adds to a, a huge sense of alarm within the Charlton fan base. But George, I, I wanted to ask you about Reading, who, who are now, they've pulled away from the relegation zone, where they were for, for many months, um, a while back. You were already singing Ruben Sellers' praises even before results turned, which they absolutely have. Uh, it, it's incredible what he's been able to do. I really do think so. In the context of, of the off-field issues, and I just wanted to sort of check back in with you and basically ask, like, well, what was it that you saw? Why, why were you so adamant that Sellers was doing a good job? Because I'm not sure everyone had that vibe at that time.
1: Yeah, I think when you looked at the job he was doing in terms of setting up a Reading side. Full of inexperienced uh, youth team graduates, academy graduates, and turning them into a side who, like at the very worst, were competitive, consistently in, in League One. Coupled with the fact that their, you know, the underlying numbers were always much better than the results were um, for the first twenty-five games or so of the season. Implementing a, a really effective high pressing game. Um, I, I just think when you know, with the chaos that's that's going on around him at Reading. I think Ruben Sellers has maintained a a really strong hold on this team. And, you know, they're they're not going down now. I'd be absolutely amazed if Reading get relegated this season. Um, They're improving week on week. He's had to deal with a transfer window where he wasn't able to bring anyone in. He's had to deal with a situation with Charlie Savage and, you know, how he couldn't play him for a while because of the. Clause in his contract to increase wages, although Savage has seemingly waived that clause, uh, which in itself I'd, I'd say is is a pretty impressive um, sign as to Savage's opinion of, of Reading and the club and, and how happy he is there. Like it, yeah. I mean, there, there are clearly massive issues to be hope get sorted out with the owner um, very very soon, and hopefully Reading will have a new owner at some point in the near future. Um, but in terms of navigating them through a storm. I think Ruben Sellers has done an incredible job.
0: And Charlton hosting Lincoln on Tuesday night is a big, big, big one for them. Uh, Burton beat Bristol Rovers. Great performance from them as well. 2-1 away win at, at this... Quite, kind of peculiar, Rovers team who are losing a, a lot of games at the moment, and seemingly having their best performances results against some of the better teams that they play against, whether that's in the league or the cup. They didn't handle Burton's direct style of play at all here. Uh, Bennett up front, Mason Bennett, that is, with Ola Adabomi as well on loan from Crystal Palace. He was someone that was pretty highly sought after after a prolific PL two campaign so far. He also happens to be six foot four and absolutely the type of Profile of striker that we talk about a lot as being, um, you know, very much fitting in the in the modern game. Given that he can offer a lot outside the box, given that he can disrupt centre backs with his. Uh, athleticism, run the channels as well and hopefully attack the ball within the, the penalty area too. Uh, very notable that him and Bennett just caused Rovers constant problems. Um, the first goal came after uh, uh, the ball had bounced around a little bit and Gilligan, uh, the centre midfielder, academy graduate, scored a, a really smart finish into the top corner. And then the second goal was a, a, a long ball forward and between Bennett and Ola Adabomi, they, they just made it stick. Uh, then smart bit of combination play from them. Bennett back-healing it into... Ola Adebomi, who set up Mark Helm for the second goal. Um, Bristol Rovers pulled one back, but actually I think Burton were, were fully deserving of the win. They almost scored a couple more from set-piece situations. They they seem to be under Martin Patterson leaning into a, a very direct and, and physical style of play. And I don't hate that for Burton. I do not hate them adopting that or re-adopting that, that as, a, as an identity. Uh, I've said a few times, that I think... That the high-volume turnover in that squad over the last few years has has just about allowed them to achieve their basic objective of staying up in League One, but I don't think it helps them develop anything in the mid to long term. But I think that there's a chance, if maybe if Patterson's the right man to, to oversee this if they can be a little bit more focused in their recruitment, if this is the way that they want to play, that's absolutely fine. And we saw here that it can be very, very effective uh, indeed. And I'm going to talk about a team in Newport in league two later, who are playing a similar, uh, very direct high press style of of play that that can be absolutely effective at this level. Uh, And George Exeter beat Wigan 2-1. That was another big win for them.
1: Good run of form. Yeah, good run of form at a good time as well. um, As it gets congested down towards the bottom end of league one. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it was a bit smashy and grabby. Um, Moisa with the um, the first goal that was it was deflected after 10 minutes, uh, his first goal. Um, for Exeter, he certainly offers, um, you know, we know how good a, a striker he can be at League One level, um, and he offers Exeter something that they've kind of been lacking, I would say, um, for the majority of the last year or so. Um, and then Jack Aitchison, um, after half-time with another deflected effort, um, just after the hour mark as well. So it was kind of two fairly scrappy goals for Exeter, with quite big slices of luck involved in both of them uh, before Charlie Calvin got one back for Wigan but they saw it out relatively well so a big win for Exeter um, an important win for them for Wigan off the back of a, an impressive victory over Peterborough um, you know you would think that they'll be fine I mean they're, they're you know Exeter and Wigan now if you look at the league table kind of fit into the category where like they're not they're not safe yet but when you consider how many, how many clubs are below them you anticipate that they, that they should be okay Um, both hitting the 39 and 37 points at the stands right now so uh, Wigan six points clear of of Port Vale and 21st with a few teams below them Um, you'd think they'll be okay
0: Gary Corbyn and Sean Maloney old pals from their playing days both with Celtic and with Wigan of course and they've both got an away win against each other this season Um, and that's quite sweet I think that's nice just share the joy Um, Cheltenham beat Cambridge 1-0 massive massive win for Cheltenham they'd lost three in a row they'd lost four out of their last five that the 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 gap to survival was getting bigger, not smaller as it had done for a few months. And and they needed this. Um, It it basically was a game that came down to finishing quality as many football matches do. Uh, Matty Taylor with a properly excellent laser of a left footed strike into the far corner to give Cheltenham the lead. And Cambridge had three decent chances. Lyle Taylor, Elias Kachunga, Macaulay Bond, all of them with decent looks squandered uh, and Cheltenham get a, a massive win. Uh, Lincoln beating Fleetwood t- yeah. Lincoln beating Fleetwood 2-1, and Fleetwood, a couple of weeks ago, were 2-0 up against Wickham, and they went down to 10 men in, in first half injury time, and unsurprisingly, Wickham then came on strong and, and came back and got a 2-1 draw. In this game, Fleetwood were 1-0 up against Lincoln, and then they went down to 10 men in first half injury time, and Lincoln unsurprisingly came on quite strong, and, and Lincoln have ended up winning this one 2-1. But given that in between those two, when Fleetwood have kept 11 men on the pitch, they won both games convincingly to nil. I'm kind of still sitting here, George, thinking, like, keep an eye on Fleetwood. Like, you know, there's a few results here where if it wasn't for their own, you know, tripping themselves up, stepping on a rake and having it smash in their own mouth, they might have been a lot better off.
1: Yeah, it feels like Charlie Adams has certainly got them playing better than Lee Johnson managed Scott Brown managed um, this iteration of, of Fleetwood Town seems to be the best so far, but they've got to sort out their disciplinary issues because, as you say, you know, to, to squander points on the road from winning positions against Wickham and Lincoln could be incredibly damaging. Um, again, they've got back-to-back home games now. A, a huge game against Reading um, on Tuesday night, um, which if they can win that game, it would, you know, it would uh, certainly do their cause um, a lot of good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how. Yeah, I mean, clearly their their January transfer window didn't look great on paper, but the performances themselves at the moment under Adam seem pretty good. So I'm I'm more positive as a you that you know they're they're still not out of this um, yet in terms of of the relegation picture.
0: Carlisle are bottom on 20 points. Fleetwood have five more than that on 25 points, both from 31 games. Cheltenham and Vale have both played 29, have two games in hand over almost everyone around them. Uh, Cheltenham are on 26 and Vale are on 31. Charlton also on 31, but having played those two games more, three points above them are Shrewsbury on 34 and Reading on on 34 then Burton and Cambridge on 35 Wickham and Wigan on 37 are 6 points and 6 places above it at the top of League 2 the top 2 one George they keep on rolling and there's a bit of a scrap going on beneath them so they are buying themselves some breathing room that's Stockport and it's Mansfield Stockport beating Grimsby 3-1 and Stags thumping Forest Green by 4 goals to nil Uh, which one do you want to go with
1: yeah, we'll start with Stockport, Grimsby. And this was pretty light work for, for Stockport with um, David Artells, Grimsby doing what you kind of know they're going to do, and that's play out from the back. And Harvey Cartwright was caught out um, for the first goal, basically passing it straight to Anthony Sasevich, who, who slotted home. Um, the second was an unbelievable... I don't know who took it. Who took that, that quick free kick? Because that was one of the best things I've ever seen. Nick Powell. Yeah that was quality like absolute quality like a raking 70 yard pass from a quick free kick inside your own half um uh, that set up the the second goal for Olafe. um yeah i mean it was it was as i say for 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 grimsby they're getting pretty frustrated at the moment um with artell's desire to continue playing his way i think they probably have to get used to it like i, I still think because of um, Forest Green and um, Sutton struggling. I don't think there are too many existential issues right now in terms of their, their football league status, even if they are currently in 21st. Um, but, you know, things could get a little bit uncomfortable if if Sutton do improve. Um, but, I'm you know, I, I, as we said when he was appointed, I'm very much of the opinion that David Artel is an incredible appointment for, for Grimsby Town Football Club. It's just a transition period from Paul Hurst to what you want a Artel team to look like is going to take time. Do they have that time right now? Um, can Artel change his philosophy a little bit just to stop Grimsby going behind in games because of their willingness to, well, their desire to play out from the back? We'll have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, Stockport, the. In terms of a, a style matchup, this always felt like a bit of a mismatch and, and Stockport were able to exert that super, superiority with a 3-0 lead at halftime um, before Isa got one back for for as a consolation in the second half.
0: And Mansfield's win at Forest Green looks very comfortable, a 4-0 win. But again, you know, down to some really good finishing, which Forest Green didn't show themselves. Ollie Clark in particular, Topped and tailed it with some nice finishes. Um, so, a strong day out for Mansfield. They, they make it look quite easy against opposition that aren't fully up to it. Um, for Forest Green, they're winless in 15. So, no win yet for the new manager, Steve Cottrell. And, and George, the, the walls are kind of closing in. Uh, the, the only extra analysis that I've got on top here is whenever I watch Forest Green and then look at the stats, they almost never suggest that they are this absolutely disastrous uncompetitive football team who are useless in general play but they have this huge issue in both boxes and, and it always is reflected in the stats they ne- they're very rarely get absolutely dominated in terms of the shot count for example but sure enough you check the season long stats for conversion rate they've got the worst conversion rate in League 2 and in terms of opposition conversion against them the second highest so the second worst and that has just been a constant issue for them uh, and yeah I, I certainly feeling like the walls are closing in
1: they're running out of time aren't they um you know as for the reasons you mentioned it doesn't feel like a, a an impossibility that they do go on a run that thing just fallen fall into place especially when you consider Matty Stevens as a as a striker who we know can be fairly clinical but they haven't won a league game since um the 28th of October um, when mm. they beat Crawley 2-1. And that is just too long a period not to be able to get, get ahead in games. And they've thrown away so many good positions within those as well. So yeah, walls closing in, running out of time, whatever you want. I think it's uh, maybe the writing is on the wall.
0: And we've got, and for the third week in a row, we've got a new team in third place, the last automatic spot. And it's not Barrow and it's not Wrexham. It's Crew Alexandra. They beat Crawley 1-0 and high octane FC, second half FC, as we were calling them in the first half of the season, and now just low margin FC. Let's just get it done 1-0. No problems here.
1: No problems whatsoever. A really cozy, comfortable 1-0 win over a Crawley side who it feels like a kind of. Maybe they're one of the first teams to be on the beach. It's a bit bit cold for the beach now, but like they're not going down. They're not going up. They are just coasting. Um Rio Adabisi scoring from close range, um, the only goal of the game. Um, in a game that crew just controlled with minimal fuss. And as you say, with Wrexham's current poor form, it means that Crew currently now sit in, in third position. And um you know, I personally thought it was uh you know, everyone was playing for for you know the the top three were kind of set in stone in my mind as Stockport, Mansfield, and Wrexham. But now we've got a proper race on our hand for the the third most spot.
0: Yeah, I mean they're pretty well placed, Crawley. If they do want to head to the beach, on account of being 22 miles from Brighton and of course right next to Gatwick Airport, they could be uh, in and around a number of sandy beaches within the drop of a hat. Um, crew overtake Barrow. I saw Barrow play on Saturday. I was. Very disappointed by Barrow's performance on Saturday. Um, But it it takes two to tango in a football match, and I think Wimbledon deserve a lot of credit. They beat them 2-0. Now, this was a very low-margin game. Uh, Wimbledon play uh, 4-4-2, and Barrow were playing a three at the back with wing-backs, with only Cole Stockton up front and not a lot of support. And very little happened, to be quite honest with you. Um... Except Wimbledon were 2 up after half an hour and they'd only had three shots. Uh, there was a, a ball hooked over the top by Little and the Al hamadi replacement, Josh Kelly, who they signed from Solihill Moors, who's all about speed and hustle and bustle and running in behind. And in that sense, as a profile of, of uh, someone to replace, Al hamadi makes a lot of sense and I, and I was really excited to watch him play. And uh, I think that that looks like a very smart and, and kind of... Uh, savvy, but also a piece of recruitment that had to happen pretty quickly. They had to have that lined up and get it done, and they did. Kelly ran in behind. The keeper got there, headed it out to Ronan Curtis, who, with an absolutely excellent first touch and volley, um, fizzed it back over the keeper's head into the empty net for 1-0. Then... Uh, A deep cross from the left from Armani Little, who was probably my man of the match for Wimbledon. Uh, And Bugill with just incredible centre-forward play, just stiff-arming the defender to create the the space and then heading it into the far corner on the bounce. Difficult one for any keeper to save. Uh, And Wimbledon were entirely comfortable after that. Uh, It was they that probably had the better chances. Kelly's speed on the break twice gave him opportunities one-on-one. And I feel a bit bad for him because... God, what a, what a home debut it would be if he could have got one or two of those and and just let the fans know that you know he's he's a good replacement for Alhamadi. But the first one he tried to go around the keeper who who picked it and stopped him, and the second one he tried to just slot it to one side and and the keeper stuck out and Armour made a really good save. So it was as much about good keeping as it was poor finishing. But I felt a bit bad for for Kelly. Uh, I did like his speed and his movement as well, and I just liked a lot about about Wimbledon's performance here. Uh, listeners of the betting show will know that. I've been worried about them for a few weeks and I've, I've been wrong both times. Uh, they are missing both their starting centre-backs, Johnson and Lewis, who had such a good partnership in the first half of the season. They're missing their captain, their, their midfield talisman, Jake Reeves. Uh, they're missing a couple of wide players, or Lemonhay Evans, who, who got recalled, and Neufill, who's out. And, of course, Al Hamdi as well, who I, I thought was probably the best player in the whole league on balance. I felt that those absences would hit them hard and they just haven't. And I think that speaks to really impressive coaching and setup from Johnny Jackson, from Terry Skiverton. Of course, we give Craig Cope quite a lot of credit for the way that he's helped um, build the squad over the last few years after a really bad few years of recruitment at the club. But the way they play is just so settled, so coherent. I just got this feeling that they're they're very rarely, um, you know, they're, they're never floundering. They're never... On the turn, you know, being having to defend against dangerous attacks, they just managed the game really well. Um, and I think the fact they've got back-to-back clean sheets against Bradford and Barrow without their starting centre backs reflects pretty well on the on the whole structure of the team. So, um, a, a really positive afternoon for Wimbledon um, as they fight for a, a playoff spot. Tim, who's a Don's fan, pointing out that having been the worst team in England at keeping leads for two years, uh, they've now won 15 straight games when they've gone ahead in the league and cup. Uh, the last time they dropped points from a lead was crew in mid-September. So another, uh, you know, more credit to give uh, Jackson and the coaching staff for getting over what was basically an sort of, inherent endemic issue that the that the club and the team had uh, not being strong enough to hold on to leads. well again that the whole personality of the team is completely changed and uh, I saw them beat a good Barrow team 2-0 with, with minimal fuss uh, albeit you know it was some good finishing early on that, that got them that um, good times good times for Bradford George 8 without a win they go to Wrexham who'd only lost once at home this season in the league and once at home last season in the league. Now it's two home defeats in the league this season, both times to uh, Graham Alexander. First, Firstly, he was MK Don's manager and now Bradford manager.
1: I am feel happy for Graham Alexander and for Bradford. I think they've um, been way better than their winless run suggested they had been. They hadn't got the rub of the green in a lot of games. And I felt like this was going to go the same way because... Andy Cook won a penalty late on in the game um, and it was saved by a Um, And it felt like from there it was going to going to end up being a, a nil-nil draw with Bradford again, ruining a missed opportunity to get all three points. But Cook um, wasn't having any of it. And when he got broke clear, um, shot, saved by a Quanquo again, but he was there for the rebound and nodded in. And he absolutely loved it. He um, mm-hmm. wanted to make sure the Wrexham fans, uh, who'd presumably given him a bit of... Um, you know, an interesting uh, reception, I guess, after the penalty. Um, you know, he ran ran over to them and, and pointed the back of his shirt. And it feels like, you know, for for Wrexham it's really damaging. For Bradford's, you know, it, it feels like now the playoffs are probably too far gone. I know that the the, uh, the odds suggest that they're still got a chance, but there's a big gap for them to to bridge. But uh, but even so, it feels like in terms of building something, um, a big win for. For Bradford and um, give them a bit of belief under under Alexander that they can go to some of the best teams of the league and, and beat them like that.
0: I mean Andy Cook, whether he's scoring or not, and, and of course having won the Golden Boot last season, mostly it's scoring. Um, he's just got huge main character energy, doesn't he? Just overall, he's always the subject of uh, back and forth from opposition fans, and you get the sense that he he loves it and it helps him thrive. And uh, those are the characters that we that we want and need in the game. And I dare say that. Wrexham's current three game losing run will probably have a whole episode of their own TV show dedicated to it because, you know, good stories, George with, with positive endings, which is what they're hoping for this season. They need a bit of jeopardy in there. You, you, you know, anyone that knows anything about filmmaking or TV shows, you can't just have it all plain sailing. uh, And they certainly haven't got that at the moment. Three defeats in a row for this uh, expensively assembled Wrexham side. Barrow, are uh, fourth. Wrexham are fifth. Sixth is MK Dons. They beat Accrington 2-1. Um, but really profiting from long-range strikes, weren't they here? Um, Jack Payne scored an incredible free kick to equalise after Jack Nolan had, had carried the ball about 30 yards and slotted Accrington ahead. And then right at the end, uh, Tomlinson, the wingback, who's been so good under Mike Williamson, he was on the ball 25 yards out and a long-range strike through bodies ended up in the net so it's 11 wins out of 16 under Mike Williamson. Um what do we make of, of MK against Accrington?
1: Well they got over the line in the end as you say it wasn't necessarily um the the free flowing expansive football under Mike Williamson that that created the opportunity to score. Um the the Accrington goal was um uh, just a, a can you get a scrappy long shot because that's kind of what it was. It was a strange <laughs> goal. In. Um before Jack Payne scored a, a beautiful free kick um 20 or so, 20 or so minutes ago and then Tomlinson fired from range late on um I'm impressed by them it, it's interesting that that you know the their form has been so good when you consider they've dropped points against some teams you wouldn't necessarily expect them to and maybe that's a sign of, of what is possibly to come um but as you know if there is the race for the top three or the race for third is very much on you're looking at crew you're looking at Barrow, Wrexham and, and certainly MK as being the protagonists in that um, in that discussion.
0: And we also have a new playoff team or at least a new team in a playoff spot and they're called Harrogate Town. And who would have thought it, George? This is potentially one of the stories of the season so far if they can maintain it from this point. They beat Colu 1-0. And I think we would... Broadly summarise Harrogate's season as playing quite badly and picking up points for a period and then playing really well and picking up points in the last few weeks. However, the 1-0 win against Colu is almost Harrogate 1.0 because U played really well and again, I'm afraid, their keepers let them down right at the end with a, a bit of a handling howler for Harrogate's winner. 1-0.
1: Yeah, Colchester very impressive in the first half. Um, it does feel like even though it's not yielding results yet, Danny Cowley is starting to get a bit of a tune out of this Colchester side, and it's handy for him as well that the, the two teams that sit below Colchester at the moment in Forest Green and, and Sutton aren't showing too many signs that they're going to to close that gap. So frustration for him, I'm sure that they weren't able to get the win. Um, to, again, good play by uh, Abraham Odo uh, with the with the uh, down the left hand side. Still, just looks every time at Harrogate looks like the best player um, and such a, a dangerous player consistently with a, a really a combination of um, good ball carrying ability but also just composure that um, I think we didn't see that off in the Rochdale um, so yeah a, as you say a, a bit of a keeper howler that, that caused the goal but Harrogate very much their own merit as well um, I've been saying it you, know, you, you are right where early in the campaign the performances didn't seem good but the, there's been a massive step up in performance level um, over the last couple of months and that's why this run of form i think is is sustainable
0: now gillingham beat knots 3-1 at meadow lane on friday night this was a, a significant game a significant result it means Knots's poor form absolutely continues a really tough start for stuart maynard albeit the the drop in results had begun before luke williams left when conor masterton made it 3-1 in the 53rd minute his fifth goal of the season Both teams had only had four shots each, so this wasn't a particularly high-octane helter-skelter game in terms of penalty box action. But Gillingham had taken three of their chances and were 3-1 up and held out from there. So winning the Battle of the Boxes was the order of the day here, George, as it so often is. I was asked by Chappers on Five Live, uh, because this game had already taken place, if Stephen Clements and Gillingham were under the radar a little bit. And the question kind of took me by surprise, which I guess is probably an indication that maybe they are a little bit under the radar. I just find them really hard to work out because this is a a statement win. Of course it is. But before this, home draws to Walsall and Forest Green and defeat at MK. Before that, it was three wins in a row. It's kind of like false dawns and then a little peak, a little trough here and there. I I still just can't get a grasp on them. And they're still the lowest scoring team in the division.
1: That's mad. I mean... uh I wouldn't say beating Notts County at the moment is a sign of um, you should take notice. I think there are some fundamental defensive issues in Notts County where teams are just finding it so easy to score against them. And Gilliam, to their credit, you know, they, they dominated in, in Notts County's box with all three goals, as you said. But just, you know, you, you hang a ball into Notts County's box, there's panic, and Gilliam were able to capitalize on that. So, yeah, I mean, that, I, I wouldn't be. Hugely shocked if they went on a run. I think they're better now under Clements than, than maybe they were. Um at times towards the end of Harris's reign, I think certainly the the, the football itself it's it's not what we thought they were looking for. Like it's not really expansive stuff from, from Gilligan, but it's certainly more threatening in, in from an attacking standpoint and they're creating more chances more consistently now too. So yeah, maybe so under the ra- under the radar that they're not even on our radar. <laughs> Newport are uh
0: flying up the power rankings uh, four wins in a row within that a game against Manchester United in the FA Cup and the sort of general received wisdom is that a game like that for a League 2 team or a National League team for example can be can kind of derail the home form somewhat not a bit of it four wins in a row this one a 3-0 win away at Walsall and it was just Cocklands Newport at their best showing their personality and their style and it working really well and it's among the most um, direct and high-pressing combination uh, that we see in the EFL at the moment. It reminds me a little bit of Barnsley uh, from when they made the playoffs under Val Ishmael, the launch and squish, as people call it, because Newport have the fewest build-up attacks in League Two. That's attacks that follow, or well, that contain a, a move of ten passes or more. That they're not bothered about that. Their sequence time, their, their passes per sequence uh, suggest that they are among, if not the most direct team in the league. But they have the most high turnovers in the league as well. So you can see that um, it, it's not a case of just getting rid and seeing what happens. It's part of a plan that's working, that, that is effective for them. And it truly does all come down to Will Evans, I think. Um, while recognising that Seb Palmer Holden is adding a lot to this team... And his physicality, his size, his mobility means that with two up top who can both run channels, uh, occupy centre-backs who seem to combine well when they do win the ball... Um, Palmer Holden is, is is doing unbelievably well the, the Bristol City lone but it's Evans who we talked about last week with 21 goals now in all competitions who is the star man and, and one of the best players in League 2 this season uh, the first goal showed it uh, punt forward nice long direct pass Walsall won the header but not long after that Evans nipped in nicked it off a defender uh, and then they built an attack which ended up with Morris uh, firing home a deflected shot from outside the box the second goal punt forward uh, Evans actually won the flick on but Walsall again gathered possession with their centre-backs but eventually Evans nipped in again won it again uh, and then got in front of Donovan Daniels and finished left-footed into the top corner three nil goal long throw flick on headed in so they're really living out this kind of um, direct style and they're really doing it very very well um, and I'm pretty excited about it and I talked about Will Evans last week. We had a laugh about what a, a good bloke he sounded like and how interesting his career path has been. I reckon we might have managed to secure a little interview with Will Evans. So keep an eye on this feed over the next week or two and you'll hear a bit more from him, we hope. Uh, Morecambe 1, Sutton 0 or Doncaster 2, Tranmere 1, George?
1: Morecambe 1, Sutton 0, I think. Um, you've been double-jetted again, I'm afraid. Jed-Jed. Um, Jed-Jed. Uh, yeah, Jed Garner getting the goal for Jed Brannan, his manager, early on. Um, Sutton didn't really do lows, I didn't think, uh, from one down early on in the game where you know, every game is obviously so important to them. Um, so, yeah, Sutton have to find a way, just some way to get some points on the board soon. Otherwise, they are destined to return back to the National League. Um, but Morecambe, again, just... They are the absolute masters of getting points on the board. And um, interesting now with Derek Adams having resigned from Ross mm-hmm. County. Um, I wonder if Jed Brannon is feeling the shadow of Derek hanging over him. But um, more results like this and Derek won't have a shout because um, he's winning games.
0: Uh, and Donny beating Tranmere 2-1, very significant for them after a poor run of form. The relegation zone looked like it was getting a little closer, uh, but Adelican the star here with a, a really nice assist for a brilliant Joe Ironside header uh, and then Adelican scoring the second goal as well for a 2-1 win. Big sigh of relief for Donny. Uh, Tranmere's good run under Nigel Atkins is very much uh, in the past now, uh, but for Donny, 10 points above the relegation zone, even though... In, in like two thirds of their games, they are a really poor football team, even though that is the case. They should be fine. They should be safe. They should be able to get enough from the times where they remember how to play to, to keep the relegation zone at arm's length. Uh, Swindon drew one all with Salford. Swindon uh, with another decent performance, but a late equaliser throwing away another lead. The returning Callum Hendry who had a horrible long-term injury uh, very early on in this season, is back and scoring for Salford, which you think only makes them a stronger proposition in the last chunk of the season. What fun to talk EFL football with you, George. A great weekend, as they will be every single weekend now from here to the end of the season. Uh, That has been your uh, 90-minute recap of a great EFL weekend, and we hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast. And if you do, there are various ways of supporting us. You can join the NTT20 squad, which is our uh, forum, uh, a lively community of EFL lovers, where you'll be uh, welcomed in with open arms. Uh, There's plenty of... Uh, that the NTT20 squad can offer you or NTT20.com, which is our written offering and uh, full of quality content every single week delivered straight into your inbox. You can join NTT20.com as well. Both of those will cost you about the price of a London pint a month, which we think is pretty good value. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on NTT20.com and thank you to Betfair for sponsoring this podcast. Go out.